Good morning. I am Master Sergeant Ivana Robinson. I am the superintendent at the Second Bomb Wing CCA office. I have with me this morning Dr. Hampton. Good morning. I am Dr. Isaac Hampton, and I am the senior historian and command curator for Air Force Global Strike Command. This morning is episode two of Between Two Buffs. We're going to be discussing Black History Month, uh, specifically the civil rights movement of the 1960s. We'll also go into how some of those events of that um, that era are relative to what we see today, as well as progress we've made and some of our personal experiences. So to start with, let's talk about the origins of Black History Month. We really have to go back to uh, the 1920s in 1924, uh, we're going to see that Dr. Carter G. Woodson, uh, who was the second African-American to graduate from Harvard uh, after uh, Du Bois, he came up with the idea of, of black celebration. So in 1924, he begins with um, the celebrate or the observation of African-American uh, Literature Week. In 1925, it's changed to African-American Achievement Week. And then by 1926, uh, we see that Dr. Uh, Woodson goes to changes it to African American, uh, Afri excuse me, Black History Week, and then by 1976 we see that the observations for African American history is recognized and goes to a full month, and that's how we get to uh, the idea of Black History Month. Now, the reason why it is the month of February, and there's a lot of a lot of questions about that for folks who haven't done the reading is that the reason why we see that Dr. Woodson chose February was is because uh, Frederick Douglass, that's the month that he was born, and Abraham Lincoln, it's also the month that he is born. So for Woodson in 1926, these are two of the greatest Americans that um, he can tie into the upliftment and struggle for African Americans, obviously with Lincoln, with the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment, and Frederick Douglass, who would be one of the uh, great abolitionists uh, in American history. Great points, Dr. Dr. Hampton. Um, as I stated, we are going to go into the 1960s, dive into that era of the civil rights movement, because a lot of stuff for African Americans, there was a lot of changes that happened during that era. Um, we see that there was segregation. We had a lot of um, things that changed for us as a, as a people during that time. Um, so we saw back then how, how things were segregated, how there were riots, peaceful riots, actually. When you look back at the, at the literature and you read about it, a lot of the riots started out peaceful. Um, that was the intent. The intent was always peaceful. And we look today, even now, the intent is still the same. It's all about peaceful rioting, peaceful protests, actually, to, to be heard. At, at the end of the day, I think African Americans as a people just want to be heard. Um, we see how so much progress has happened since then. Um, we've gone from segregation. We've gone from um, slavery. And now we see that the progress within African-American communities, within politics, within all these areas has changed. Um, even from just not as African-American women in general, um, we go from having an African-American president to now we have 
the first African-American and female vice president. So things like that, you can see clearly the, the change and the progress that has, made, has been made over the years and since that era of the 1960s. And to really get an, an understanding of how great the change in progress has, has been, uh, not only for, as a people, African-Americans, but as a nation, we need to juxtapose that to uh, the 1950s and really the beginning of the civil rights movement. So let's go back to 1954, Brown versus the Board of Education. When Brown versus Board is actually passed, remember there's two cases, but the first one is the one we want to talk about, is that this really changed the nation in the sense that it desegregates the schools. And once the schools will be desegregated, we know that all public accommodations, which was historically white space, will uh, become integrated. So while we have Brown v. Board on paper that, again, brings, brings um, schools together slowly, uh, and it's going to be a struggle not only in the South but also in the North, this is a huge step when we begin to look at um, as far as progress in the nation legislatively and uh, as far as um, peaceful protest. We can segue that into the 1960s. Again, so we go through the Montgomery bus boycott uh, with Rosa Parks. Again, another um, crystallization in uh, uh, peaceful protest and stand up for just, just civil rights, for riding a bus. Uh, but then when we get to the 1960s, uh, and most of us begin to think about uh, Dr. Lock, Dr. Martin Luther King and uh, the SCLC, Southern Christian Leadership uh, uh, Coalition, that, again, they're going to be uh, the voice. They're going to be the tip of the spear uh, to really uh, internationally bring uh, the, the challenges that African Americans were experiencing uh, to the world. And the big question is this, as the United States stood up as the leader in the world for democracy, uh, it, is, it runs counter to the fact that you have a segment of your population that can't enjoy all of the freedoms that are promised to them through the Constitution. And uh, in the middle of the Cold War, this is certainly um, a, uh, quite a a mark against the United States where it looks like uh, the, the country speaking out of both sides of its mouth. So Dr. King brings this to the international stage and through nonviolent protests. And as Sergeant Robinson was, was speaking, uh, you know, we can't let uh, violent protest take over peaceful protests. So when, when, when King uh, does his marches throughout the South, uh, we see that as a nation, and on the world stage, the United States had to come forward. And with that, we see the 1960, excuse me, the 1964 uh, Civil Rights Act and 1965 Voting, Voting Act. So again, with these accommodations, uh, we really begin to see uh, the legislative part, the, the, uh, that is that actually put in place with laws behind it that will actually begin to help make progress and beat down doors for African-Americans for something simple as integrating schools to entering universities that had barred blacks from entering uh, to, um, to actually being able to live uh, in almost anywhere they want in the country. Prior to this, we, we have redlining uh, really well into the 60s where African-Americans simply can't live. 
So uh, this is all part of the struggle. Um, we do see that the crested years of the civil rights movement could be 1963 to 1965. But what happens is that uh, the Vietnam War replaces the civil rights movement as the most important uh, issue in the nation. And we see with much of black America, the progress didn't happen quick enough. And so each generation has less and less patience. So we see that the marchers from the 60s, the early 60s, we have their children and young adults who will begin to uh, believe that King's peaceful protest, what did it get them? We have the watch riots, we have riots um, in New Jersey, we have riots in Detroit. Uh, so a lot of this is black frustration uh, that, that comes to the top. Uh, we have the black power movement, which is again, uh, something that, that we have a certain group that doesn't believe that I shall overcome a peaceful protest has gotten the country anything. Uh, but by the time we get to the 70s uh, and we get past the Vietnam War, uh, we will see that progress will be made because now we have laws that are going that are being enforced as far as integration and affirmative action. And uh, as Sergeant Robinson uh, mentioned, uh, we had tremendous years of progress um, economically uh, and politically where we have our, our first African-American president. Um, now we have uh, our first uh, chief of staff of the Air Force in General Brown. Uh, we have the first African-American president, and uh, we actually have the first female African-American vice president. So all that's progress. So um, at this point, let me turn it back over to you, Sir Ramos. I've talked enough, please. <laughs> yes, sir. So you mentioned um, basically the demographics of the of the protesters back then, I think it's very interesting to note that today we see um, it's a much younger crowd. When we see the protests that are happening today, um, recently dealing with um, issues with police brutality and all of that, even just still equal rights when it comes to certain things, the demographic is different. You have younger people. We're out there now. The The age gap, it's much different when you had uh, Dr. Martin Luther King and the Rosa Parks and the Malcolm X's out there. And even the way in which they do it, um, different, yes, but still very relevant to um, reflect on how it changes from the way in which they protested then and the way in which they protest now. At the end of the day, I think the main trend that we see is we want to be heard. Um, the young people now, they want to be heard. I don't think that um, they feel like they're being listened to. Um, so sometimes when you have these laws in place, um, all the progress that we've made, when you take a step back, if something happens, you take a step back, it's a natural reaction to want to fight for that that change yet again. So I love when I see that we do have younger people out getting involved. They're getting involved in their schools, in their communities. It's a good thing. Um, and especially when it's a peaceful protest, um, you're voicing your concerns, you're fighting for not new laws, but just to enforce the laws that are in place um, so that they can apply to everyone and not just a certain um, group of people. So I think that is, is notable because we even have, like you said, we had the Rosa Parks back then. We have young females today. We have young males that are out there in front of their communities, voice and change, not just at the 
the national level, even within their own communities, local governments, they're pressing them to actually be responsible for their actions and be responsible for change. So I think it's a great, great, great um, thing that we're seeing. And, and Black History Month is a good time to kind of reflect on that. Like I said, not just where we've been, but where we are now, how far we've come in between that time. Because um, a lot of change has happened, and it's, it's great. And I also think there is a lot of change that is still to come, and I'm excited to see where that goes. Mm-hmm. You, you remarked about the, the peaceful protests. For a lot of my oral history interviews that I do of people who lived um, through the 60s and, and, and took place in peaceful protests, uh, and some actually some violent protests, mm-hmm. One of the biggest differences that they that they see is that the crowd today, it's not just African-Americans. So, again, that's the greatest indicator that when we look at where African-Americans were, this is not a, a black problem. This is an American problem. And it's not white against black. It's everybody against racism. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's that's something when we really have 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 seen. Um, the country tried to come together to 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 try and and really bring bring notice um, that things can from police brutality uh, to, to 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 gender equality and access um, all these types of things uh, have been part of these protests to to bring light to this uh, or at least attention and this took place in, in light of George Floyd okay um, you know a person who who um, I'm sure in their life never thought that, you know, they would be kind of the crystallization, the flashpoint of, you know, hey, this is a reminder that the country still has to live up to what is in the Constitution, no matter the color or the gender. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we see that also um, as it relates to just being in the military. Like I said, we've come a long way even – from a military standpoint on um, equality and and just having the same um, privileges over our history in the Air Force and as a military as a whole. Um, I I like to see young people when they're proud of seeing, oh, hey, there's a female black pilot. She's cool. I love seeing that because that shows the progress that we've made as a country and even as a military in general. Um, Even when we think about the changes that have happened, I feel like a lot of changes has happened um, just over the past decade in the military with regulations that they bring up, things that they try to uh, get information from the airmen. We reach out and we ask, what can we do to help you? Um, How can our policies better help you? Because not all of them are, I won't say they aren't inclusive, but they may not know exactly what is beneficial for different races. Um, I speak on that because one of the big things that I hear all the time um, when it comes to being inclusive um, is hair. It's just, as an African-American female, being in the military, it's one of those things that you just deal with. However, um, everybody's different. Culturally, we're different. Everything is different. So when you see um, leadership come in and they take notice and they, they hear about all of these complaints that they're hearing from the airmen, and they they make changes to actually fix that. So I think that's great to be inclusive, and airmen, they hear that. We feel that in the military. It's another way that the the voices are being heard, not just from a civilian standpoint, but just even 
every day with this uniform on because when we talk about racism, when we talk about being inclusive, it's not just when we take this uniform off. It's also while we have it on. So we have to feel that um, inclusivity on and off duty. And I think we've made great progress as an Air Force specifically and as a military to combat some of these changes. Yes, um, I would definitely concur, uh, particularly when we look at the at the uh, ascension of of African American females um, in and out of uniform, and uh, the fact that the the military, uh, while we see it's right around seventeen percent uh, of African Americans who who make up uh, DOD, and that's not the Air Force, but just a, across the uh, the entire um, institution. That um, at all levels, we do see them gaining rank and being in uh, critical positions, but uh, there's still a glass ceiling that again, it's, it's largely, well, I shouldn't say largely, but it is being challenged and I think it is being addressed. Um, but let me ask, ask you, um, as a military professional, um, what, what do you tell um, young airmen as far as ascension and being successful um, as a female and as a person of color? Uh, that's a great question. For me, the main thing is be yourself. Um, I always tell people when they come to me, they ask me questions, read first and foremost. Um, if you have a question about something, there's regulations out there. Let's read. Let's look it up. Let's see what it says. Let's interpret that. And if we have questions, let's ask why. Uh, I think now we see more and more airmen, they're asking why. They want to know why to everything, which is great because we preach innovation. We preach that we want people to give us that feedback so that we can make it a better military, a better Air Force. So for me, specifically even as a female, I try to show them by one, being the example, and secondly, just, just having a conversation. Um, when it comes to the military, there's this uh, perception that it's all uptight, gung-ho, you have to be just, you know, all the time. But at the same time, you have to be yourself and relax and learn how to um, let your talents and your, your light kind of shine through. Um, what do you have to offer? How can I make this fit into my mission, my work environment? How can I better that work environment? How can it, how can it help me? Um, so for me, it's more so asking those questions and not being afraid of the answer, not being afraid to challenge um, when you feel like it may not be right. Even if you don't agree with it, try to try to find um, the reason behind it, that why. Just like we're asking a why, try to find the why and why we're doing what we are doing as well. So it's easy to say, well, why do I have to do this? And not be willing to understand that there's a reason behind why we do most things that we do. Um, so now it's just like being patient and, and, and me personally knowing and learning that when someone is asking this, they're, they're wanting feedback. So they're it's a good thing that they're asking this because they're interested. They want to be better. They want to know how they can better um, help help us, help the military, help our, our units. And sometimes you just never know um, what the reason is. So for me, if you ask me why, then I want to keep asking you, okay, so why did you ask that? Because I want to know why you asked me that as well. Um, so that's one of the main things. Um, 
being patient, just listening, listening to their concerns. Um, like I said, even with the hair, my airmen were super excited when this new regulation came out, especially the African-American airmen. They would come up to me um, Hey, how do you do your hair? What do you do about this? How, do, how is this right? Is that right? They never know who to ask, or they're afraid that oh, this is wrong. But the thing is to realize that we're all different. It's okay to ask the questions. It's okay to ask, uh, is this right? If someone tells you it's wrong, it's okay for you to go and point out in the reg as to why you felt that was right. So that's kind of where I'm at when it comes to that. I get so many questions on a daily basis and. I love the fact that people are interested and they're challenging these regulations, just like uh, protesters back in the 1960s were challenging government regulations. We have airmen challenging these AFIs and these regulations that are coming out, and that's amazing because in order to seek change, in order to get change, you first have to start with what you have and figure out how to make that better. And you brought up a, a great um, question or a great answer about the about the why, and when we look at particularly, you know, the the military, you know, it's it, it's conservative by nature; it has to be. So when I believe we we look at a lot of these these regs, particularly for the the way the uniforms were made, there's a time that there wasn't a, a female uniform; they just had to fit into a male uniform. Uh, the fact that the the hairstyle for African American uh, women. Uh, as you just said, we're all different. And there's a medical condition that, you know, when black females have to pull their hair back in such a way, you know, it, it, it creates, um, it can create a VA issue for when they get out having headaches and things like that. Um, the medical term escapes me, but I remember sitting through a, a briefing about that. So um, I, I think it's great that the military is beginning to recognize that, you know, we have a diverse force, gender-wise, race-wise, we don't all see things different. And even though we all come under, um, uh, in this case, uh, the, the banner to um, defend the Constitution, people within there can still do that uh, to the nth degree. But we have to understand that um, as everyone's different, uh, they're going to behave different, think different. They can still, they can still do it in a military manner. But it's the fact that, again, we see uh, um, I don't want to call it a loosening, but more of an understanding of, again, we have a group of people that we have basically tried to assimilate them into such a way that, uh, in my opinion, it's kind of um, handicapped the force up to a point. Not lately, but again, um, many years ago. Now, when you brought up the the point with the with your airmen, uh, they want to know the why, the why. Uh, we're in a society now from Twitter, Twitter to the 24-hour news cycle of what happened, what happened, what happened, and everyone stops there. But we really can't understand the what, as you said, until we get behind the why. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason why it is so important that people actually study their history. In this case, African-American history. Um, you know, uh, read... Um, you know, books about Freedom Road, read books about King, um, you know, read Ibram uh, Kendi's book, Stamp from the Beginning. Uh, these types of books are, are, are ready and available for people to read. They're easy reads. And uh, they will inform people about, hey, look, how we got to where we are today didn't start 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. It started hundreds of years ago. It's just now 
uh, that through the miracle of, of cell phones, social media, and more people having a voice, that people realize um, what's going on positively and negatively. And uh, if anything, uh, we see a greater um, a greater celebration of, of of culture because we have these different mediums. You know, we we have more than just the just the four networks. Again, we have all these other other ways that people, uh, particularly African Americans, can can have access to um, that they don't need these these big media corporations to to get the message out. All right, mm-hmm. that's good, and um, I think it's important to to note and to understand that a lot of times we we focus on what's happening right now and why an individual is behaving in a certain way right now in this moment. But like you said, the history behind it, I think it's kind of, it's kind of impossible to fully understand the struggle, the trauma, and and all of that that come with being an African-American if you're not African-American. And that's where that history comes in. So I think what we should focus on and not even just completely understanding, but empathy. You know, it's easy to to say you understand, you understand, you understand, but I think it's impossible to understand unless you've actually walked in the shoes of those individuals. It's impossible to fully understand. So that empathy goes a long way. Um, Understanding, like you said, why an individual or why a group of people, um, an entire race responds to one incident the way they do. Um, It's more so of of history. You know, we have a history of this. This is not something, this is not the first time it's happened. Like you said, social media, all of that has put things into perspective and the transparency of it all is shedding light on things that otherwise would go um, unnoticed or untold, stories untold, stories unheard. Um, So I think it's very important to to note that there's a lot of history behind um, actions and reaction as opposed to just a specific event that's happening right now. Um, and it takes a lot to sit back and reflect on that, but it's very important when you look at the the big picture of it. Um, uh, we were talking earlier and you were asking me about my airmen. Um, and it just made me think about when I when I first joined the, the Air Force, the why and, and the who kind of sort of um, – the inspiration behind it. Like I said, for me, I love seeing like African-American women flying planes. I don't know. It's something about it that just, it melts my heart and it's a good feeling for me to see. So when I think about that from a military perspective, like when I came in, like it was just so many women that I was surrounded by. Um, A lot of people in general, I speak on women because that's what I was surrounded by at the time, African-American women who had excelled in their careers. And I'm looking like, wow, like that could be me. If they can do it, I can do it. And that's always been my view on life. It's like, if they can do it, I can do it. So when we look at Black History Month and we look at the generations that are out there now, the generations from before, when we see all these things, there's someone watching and they're like, huh, that can be me one day. Um, there's a female African-American vice president. That can be me one day. So I, I look at that and I, I, I love to believe that our younger generation, they're taking notice to, to what we do now. And even if they're not reading the literature, even if they're, they're not actually studying the history of it, just seeing the progress now, I feel it's still motivation for them to kind of strive for that as well mm-hmm. and and you brought up a, a great point to the the visual aspect of it um one thing uh, about african-americans you know, over over time like you know when you saw that that first black female pilot i can remember the first time i saw a black airline pilot it's like wow 
man, they, they you know, they, they do exist. It's almost like a unicorn. Now we're, we're going back to the 90s now. Um, first time I saw my, um, e- even a black doctor. So the fact that when you, when you see something that, man, it is achievable, um, like, like my daughter, um, who's 11 years old, from her memory, the first presidential president she ever remembers was an African-American in Barack Obama. So we have a whole generation of people that grow up seeing a person of color in the highest elected office in the country. And I, I remember as a kid, um, I said, well, maybe I'll see something like this by the time I'm, you know, 78. Um, I really was um, pleasantly um, surprised to see it, um, you know, so early um, in my life. Um, when I, but segueing, or actually not segueing, but tying into your, your point about motivations and, and people that have, have kind of motivated us to, and when I think about a military career for mine, um, I think of my uh, grandfather, uh, who was a World War II vet, uh, went to Fort Huachuca, uh, wound up in Italy, and um, I saw pictures of him, and it's something I, I always wanted to do. And my next example was a big influence on me uh, was my uncle, who was a Vietnam-era vet. And I remember him telling me stories of basic training when he was in the Philippines and showing me his book and um, uh, taking his gun out and, and, and shooting. We were doing targeting and things like that. And all the successful people that I had been close to had always served in the military. That's why I always wanted to be a, be a soldier. Um, and let me say this from an educational standpoint. Um, I went to a traditional school, a traditional white school for my undergrad in Urbana University. But when I went to Texas, I went to an HBCU, a historically black college in Texas Southern. It was the first time that I'd ever seen so many accomplished African-Americans in one place from attorneys to business owners to administrators who not only worked at the university, but they had side businesses that were connected to politics, that were that had these state contracts. So um, that was an awakening for me to to see those those types of folks who actually cared about my development and you know would ask me and mentor me questions, asking me questions to try to mentor me that you know my opinion mattered, and we're trying to train you that you can be more than that you thought you was. Because now seeing is believing, you know, coming from, um, uh, I'd say a part where, you know, we, you know, people doing regular work, this sort of thing. But the fact that, you know, you can do it, too. And I'm imagining that for, you know, when you see these black female pilots, um, these general officers who are African-American, uh, that that that's probably inspiring to you, too. Is that? Oh, is that it definitely correct? is. Definitely yes. is. Um for me, as even as a young girl, I've always had this fire in me. My mom would always say it. She's probably my biggest inspiration just because she's so resilient. Um, she taught me the word before I knew the meaning of the word. Just experience taught me that. And just watching her, for me, that's where it started. So it's for me, I've been surrounded by mostly females uh, my entire life. But for her, the fight in her, it's just always been in me. Um, so when I joined the military, like naturally, I kind of clung to those females that that kind of were motivating like that and reminded me of that that pushed um and seeing that and even the ones that kind of with me saw something in me that I didn't even see in myself because I mean I always wanted to be in the military I didn't know which branch um unlike you I didn't have many family members that um were in the military for a long time I had an uncle that was in the navy and that was it um 
and he was in there for a few years. But in college is when I first, well, in high school, I was going to be ROTC. I got a scholarship out of high school, and I was like, oh, I'm going to go to the Army. And then I get there, and I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to do this anymore. I was terrified. I was extremely terrified. So I even, I left. I was like, nope, I can't do this. Everybody was like, join the Air Force, join the Air Force. So I joined the Air Force, and it was the best decision I've ever made. Um, I've had those moments to where I'm just like, I want to give up. But again, it's looking to those people who have accomplished so much um, that look like me, and like, if they can do it, I can do it. And for me, that's motivating enough to see someone else doing something that everyone is telling you that you cannot do. And I'm like, if they can do it, I can do it. That's my motto in life in a lot of things. And I, I preach that to my airmen, too. It's don't, don't look at the negative. Don't look at what someone is telling you you can't do. A lot of people probably would have never fathomed a black president. He did it. So can you. It's all about just knowing and, and believing that you can do something because anything is possible. Um, you just have to be willing to put in the work, willing to actually see it through. Um, and positivity goes a long way. But it's always good to have those those people around you, those people that you look up to that actually have achieved those things to motivate you. Yeah, um, and I think you're 100% right to have people in your corner that really believe in you. Um, even when you've, even when you've failed, I mean, um, I think we we learn the most in failure because failure hurts. We're going to find out what happened, what went wrong, and how we can make it right. And uh, those mentors uh, that we have over life, whether they're whether they're family or whether folks we meet professionally or through our churches, religious organizations, um, I I think that goes a long way. And um, I, I think the other thing is, is when we're working with, you know, either with our children or with people or, or employees who are under us that we're trying to mentor, is that we try to set them up for success, give them good examples, and uh, again, for a large for people of color, seeing someone that looks like you that's in the room, that's either leading, contributing or trying to ascend to do something that, you know, well, I'd like to do that, or the fact that it's been done by someone that looks like me, that goes a long way. It does. It does. Um, and like I said, if if Dr. Martin Luther King hadn't continued to persevere through his marches, through his the, the protests, through his speeches, if Rosa Parks never got off that bus, I mean, if she actually didn't stay seated, would the Montgomery bus boycott happen? Like, with the things that happened after that would that have happened had she not stayed there had she not took a stand and said nope enough this is enough I want to be heard sometimes that's what it takes just just continuing to to push even through adversity um as a whole as a people when it comes to reflecting on black history month and what it means that's that's what it kind of means to me just looking back and forward to then what those individuals did, and now what I see the young people out there doing today, my generation, the generation after me, um, that stuff is inspiring um, to know that even though there's this huge generational gap, at the end of the day, we still want the same thing. It's, it's still the same. There's, there's, there's a lot of progress that has been made, but we also see that they're still fighting. They're still, they're still pushing to continue to 
to actually live by those laws, to actually enforce those laws, the rules that are in place, not just have them there. They sit there. Sometimes you follow them. Sometimes you don't. No, we want you to be consistent. And that's what I think the, the, that we're seeing today. We want consistency. So, again, with the Black History Month, this year's theme uh, focuses on the family. And uh, one of the questions was, why is Black History Month important? Um, I want to go back in time a little bit that I remember when I was in seventh grade. And this was a, a moment when I really wanted to start looking at, at, at history. So... Again, from an adolescent standpoint, I always liked history. But what I'm getting at is I remember we were, I was in seventh grade in social studies class. And one of my friends uh, asked the teacher, well, the teacher asked, well, why don't you, how come you guys aren't getting, aren't enjoying this class? And my friend, black female, she raised her hand and she said, well, how come we never study uh, anything on black history? And the teacher silent, folded his arms and said, really, there is no such thing as black history. He said, it's all history. And that didn't sound right to me as even a 13 or 14 year old. I remember I went home, I talked to my grandmother, I talked to some people on the block. And to the teacher's credit, the next day, he did bring in a very nice documentary on Martin Luther King we watched. So um, it never sat right with me that, you know, there was no such thing as black history. We have women's history, we have military history, um, we have Spanish history, we have um, gender studies, all these sorts of things. So uh, I didn't know about all those back then, but it didn't sit right. So bring this forward to today for black history and as a, as a professor of African-American history, 98% of people never have a black history class, a formal class over 14 to 16 weeks that gives them a foundation. We learn, um, you know, what I would call traditional history, you know, white history, but we don't learn anything or very little about Latin American history or African American history that tells us or informs people about who else is in the nation. So what most people get during Black History Month was that wonderful commercial by McDonald's that showed Martin Luther King in his I Have a Dream speech. And that's it. They think that that's it. That's Black History Month. So the fact that the military is gives its, its soldiers, airmen, uh, Navy personnel, Marines, uh, some type of training where we observe these Black History Month, Asian Pacific Month, um, all these types of histories that make up uh, this, uh, this mosaic of what is the American population. Uh, so for me, turning this back to black history, it's very important that you understand or at least have a reference point of what African-Americans came through. And the biggest point I want to make is when people think of African-American history, oh, they came from slaves. Well, they came from Africa. And that reference point is that slavery was a brief period in the African diaspora's um, moment in time. So um, again, when we, when we look at history, particularly African-American history, give yourself a chance to look at the literature, spend time, talk with people beyond just something at the, at, at the, at the water cooler. Um, you know, 
uh, listen to their music, have a, a conversation with them so uh, you can really get to that visceral point with them about how we are all different. And uh, my other point tying into African-American history is, um, again, if you look at it in the correct way, I would say in a positive way, is that uh, there's a lot of misery and a lot of suffering. But through all that, we see the triumph and intestinal fortitude of the African-American people. They're still here and thriving. So, um, again, I would just begin to ask you to, to take some time, listen to, watch some documentaries, talk to people, and don't be afraid to ask them questions uh, because that's how we get past these, these um, isms, uh, these, these things about, well, why is it this way, why is it that way? Talk to them. They might not have the answer, but you at least can get an idea of how um, they see it from their perspective. I agree. I agree totally, Dr. Hampton. Um, kind of just tying into your point, I mentioned earlier how I feel that it's almost impossible to fully understand um, the struggles, the trauma um, that came with the history of being an African-American. But for me, it's, it's like you said, the education educate yourself, read, um, talk to people. Before you judge, before you make assumptions, before you're um, quick to draw on those perceptions that come along with um, being an African-American, just look at the history of it. Um, I can't even recall too much, even in school, being from a predominantly black community, even hearing a lot about um, black history month or even just learning about black history in school. So that shows that, like you said, it doesn't matter that you are African-American. We all still need to read. We need to learn about the history. We need to, to, to try to be understanding and empathize with the struggles of the past, the struggles of today, and even the struggles that may come in the future. It's all about education and when it boils down, just, just knowing um, what, that history means to an individual or group of people as opposed to just a single moment in time because a lot of times it's not about right now. It's about an accumulation of things over hundreds of years that we must consider. Um, I spoke earlier about just even in a military standpoint from things that we we see every day. Um, you said to, to ask people, talk to people about certain things. Well, a good way to do that um, and a good resource that we have just this month for Black History Month is at the end of the month, we're having a panel. Um, the second bomb wing is hosting a, a panel on black hair. Um, it's one of those things that comes up a lot, believe it or not, in every day in the military. So if you're interested, 24th of February at 1300 at Hoban Hall, we will have that panel of, of different individuals to kind of just give you a chance to ask questions. If you're unsure, you don't have to be African American. You can just simply be curious. So I invite you to come out and join us for that. Um, Dr. Hampton, thank you for coming out with me this morning. My I pleasure. am Master Sergeant Robinson, and thank you all for tuning in to Between Two Buffs.